is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Guardians of the Future podcast. I'm your host, uh, Justin Latta. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, strong numbers last week. Very happy to see everybody back listening to the show once again. Um, if you haven't told a friend or if you haven't listened before, uh, we talked about the Guardians minor league system here, up, up and down. Uh, pretty much all focus on that. And uh, we take questions, we'll have guests. All kinds of good stuff. Last week we had Jason Prill, the broadcaster of the Lynchburg Hillcats. We had a good discussion on all the things that happened with the Hillcats. We'll kind of touch on some things uh, on them again this week. But so thanks to Jason for listening. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, uh, go back and do it. It's pretty good. Jason's also an interesting story because he's a local guy. Uh, grew up in Cleveland and has been the Hillcats broadcaster for the years. Had a lot of really cool things to talk about in terms of. The Hillcats, you know, Nate Furman, some other guys we weren't maybe familiar with, some other things we weren't familiar with in the past. So if you missed last week's episode, definitely want to go back and check that out if you want to know what's going on in Lynchburg. Because, hey, that is the team that's hardest to get the eyes on in the system, at least for me. Uh, There's limited availability or uh, quality broadcast streams in MILB TV in Lynchburg. And obviously they're out of state, so it's much harder to get down there. So... Really good to have Jason's eyes and ears on the podcast. We'll have him back on. I was supposed to catch up with my buddy Matt from the Clippers tonight. We uh, weren't able to connect, so we are still going to touch on the Clippers, of course, because uh, it's one part of the system we haven't been yet. But, boy, uh, I guess everyone wants to talk about the Logan Allen debut. I think we should get to that first before we talk about the Columbus Clippers so far. So what a debut for Logan Allen Uh I think the thing I was most impressed with is the fact that he looked like the guy who was good in the minors. I mean, he threw his fastball for strikes everywhere. He was in left-handers. He was away to, to right, or I'm sorry, he was away up and in on right-handers, away from left-handers, did a great job spotting his fastball. You could tell that the 93 miles an hour he was coming in with the average 92 in the fastball. So 90 to 93, uh, just missed scraping 94. But you could tell that fastball was playing you know, up above the velocity. So that's really good. You got seven called strikes, nine swinging. So really impressed to see 16 combined swinging strikes and called strikes on the fastball for him. You could tell that the fastball was, was they were having a very hard time squaring it up and knowing when it was coming. So that's really good to see from him, especially knowing it's, it's 90 to 93. We'll see how the teams adjust to that and what they decide to do with this fastball. Cause that's going to be the key thing for him is, his fastball command and how he works that he's got to command it as, as best he can because of the velocity, but also it does play above a little bit because what is called a shallow approach angle. And if you're not familiar with it, I'm, and I'm even, I'm not that familiar with either, you know, it's, it's the vertical approach angle. It is a hard concept to talk about. Um, but basically the best I can say it, is it's how steeply up or down the ball enters the, the, the strike zone so um, and where it crosses home plate. So like a negative vertical approach angle is like the ball is sloping downwards towards the plate. A positive one would be kind of upwards based on where it's released. Um, negative is good. You would like it to be negative, actually. And I think Logan Allen's is uh, very flat, so that's a good thing to do because it makes it hard to read off the bat it, it, it makes it harder to it makes it sneakier like joe ryan from the twins has a very good vertical approach angle in terms of 
being negative. It's just a different look for hitters. And the flatter it looks, you know, it's going to make hitters think that it's going to be a fat fastball and they're going to wind up uh, swinging over it because of how, how it comes in. You know, it has to do with gravity and um, it's just a really good good thing to have a fastball. It's a unique show. So it just kind of tells us where it crosses home plate. There's a lot of people out there who have done better work on it than I've done. So you should, uh, if you just Google vertical approach angle, or you can check out, check out, I think Jeff Ponce, uh, baseball America has done a good job on it, but it's just a low release point. So it's, it just makes the fastball more deceptive and it gets more swings and misses that way. So that's how Logan Allen's able to survive. He's got to be able to, to locate it though. when he does that, um, I thought the Marlins putting a bunch of left-handers or right-handers in the lineup against Allen was interesting because he has a very good changeup and uh, you're giving him, I mean, he, he didn't develop the slider. So I wrote, I, I talked to him in 2021 after the guardians drafted him when he was in Lake County taken off. And, you know, he had said in college, he didn't really, or I'm sorry, high school, he didn't really throw a breaking ball that much. He obviously had a breaking ball, but it wasn't like he used it a lot. And truthfully, he was good enough in high school not to need it. And he wasn't throwing as hard as he was in college, but he was a fastball changeup guy. So he already had those two pitches in his arsenal. He's throwing a little harder now, which is good. And the split change has been his best secondary. He's added the sweeper, which has been really good for him in the minors. He's thrown it a lot more just because I think he's getting more comfortable with it. And uh, he need, needs it against left-handers, uh, especially. And you know, he, he can throw that change to anybody really, but, he didn't throw that many today. He only threw uh, nine total. He got two swings and misses, one called strike. So not really a big weapon for him. And he, he really dominated with two pitches most of the day. And the Marlins lineup isn't good. So, you know, this is this is a good time for him to make his debut, truthfully. So that worked out really well for him. But I just was impressed with, with Allen being able to look like himself and kind of pitch the way he knows how to pitch and how he's comfortable with pitching. That's what you want for a guy's big league debut is you don't want him going out there trying to do something he can't do or trying to be too much to do too much of one thing. So the fact that he went out there and, and just pitched like the guy who's been dominant in the minors for the last two years and, you know, say for September of last season where he kind of lost his command, he probably had to get used to triple A baseball a little bit, let's be honest. But, um, you know, he went out there and he pitched exactly like, the guy we've seen dominate the minor leagues, except for the September of last year. So for a guy to jump in like that, that is really impressive to do that right away, no matter who you're facing. It's always, you know, the adrenaline's going, you get your nerves, major league debut. Also, it was not the best weather. So everything, he, he kept everything in check really impressively. So, I mean, there's going to be starts where it's not so, you know, not so great. He'll probably give up a few more home runs as he done the fastball, but everything you could ask for in a debut from a pitcher like Logan Allen, uh, he should be here to stay. There should be no reason to send him back down. He's up. He's good. He's ready to go. Uh, he is one of your best five starters right now in this organization. He should be pitching every fifth day in this rotation. All right, on to the Clippers in general. I know everyone's going to talk about Tanner Bybee, so we will get to Tanner Bybee. Uh, first of all, for the Clippers this past week, not their best week. They were able to to find a win on Sunday, 10 to three over the Toledo mud hens. But man, uh, this team beat the crap out of war, war, woo, Worcester. I think someone, someone corrected me, Michael in the comments on YouTube, corrected me. He said, it sounds like Worcester. So it's Worcester. That's why they're called the Woo Sox. So Worcester, uh, last week, you know, the Clippers scored 
10, 10, 16, 8, 5, and 10. So you're talking over 46, 50, over 50 runs last week in a six-game span. Boy, I wish the, you wish the Guardians could do that. Um, the offense against Toledo this week, though, you know, a lot of different circumstances piled up for them. You know, they lost nine to four to Toledo, three to five to three, eight to three, four nothing, and three and seven to three, and they won on Sunday, ten to three. The offense really dried up though, but it was a weird week for Columbus. You know, they had a lot of guys going up and down. You know, Rokio was up for a day or was pulled a day early, so really it was two days. Tyler Freeman had been gone. Um, a couple of guys hadn't been hitting. Had some injuries. The pitching obviously has been all out of whack in AAA which is unfortunate, but, you know, that is what it is. Uh, with everything going on, the Guardians, you know, need the pitching up there, and, and that's going to take them the Clippers. So, tough week for the Clippers uh, on their first home st- or their second home stand of the year. Uh, hopefully, they can come back home in May and, and do a little bit better. Uh, Tanner Bybee. Okay, so Tanner had, I guess what you would call his worst start of his career last week. I don't know if you, I don't know if I'd call it his worst. It wasn't a bad start. I think we're, again, we're talking about worst in terms of how good Tanner Bybee has been, not just in general struggle of a start for somebody. Um, four and a third innings, five walks, four strikeouts. I went back and looked at a little, little video and there were probably like two of those walks. I would say he probably should have gotten back. So it should have been maybe three walks at the worst. Uh, a couple of strike calls that he didn't get that he probably should have. Struck out four, only gave up three hits. So he has eight. He's only allowed eight hits in fifteen in the third innings. Look, if you're if you're walking guys, that's obviously not ideal. Taylor Bybee doesn't do that a lot, but if guys aren't hitting you, at least that's a good show of you know guys aren't putting the ball in play against you at a quality rate. Uh, he did have a start in 2022 where he went three innings. He did have a couple starts where he went four or four and a third. Um, that was by far his most walks of his career. He only walked two batters at most in his career up until uh, that start. So he had never walked three or four batters before. Pretty impressive uh, for Tanner Bybee for that. So, look, that it's one of those things where I think the adversity for Logan Allen was really good in Columbus in 2022 for him. It allowed him to have to work on some things and saw – what adjustments he was going to need to make. And here he is, the big league level, dominated his first start. So sometimes a little adversity is a good thing. It can help you realize what you have to work on. And for Bybee, I don't know that one start, especially considering he didn't, you know, we look at the stat line, he didn't really have a great day, but I wouldn't say he really struggled, quote unquote. We're saying he struggled by his by his standards, not particularly normal standards. So he struggled for what would be struggling for Tanner Bybee is what I'm saying. So I don't know that he necessarily has to work on a ton based off that one start. But what you like to see, though, is that he maintained his composure, uh, just went out there and kept pitching, and he rebounded from it. When he didn't get good calls, when he just wasn't able to throw strikes when he wanted to, you know, nothing changed for him. He went out there, he was the same guy trying to throw strikes and doing what he does best. And when he didn't get the calls, when he couldn't throw strikes like he wanted, you know, he didn't – nothing looked out of sorts on the mound about him. And that is ultimately what's obviously most important. That's what the Guardians are going to want to see. And they're going to want to see him bounce back from that start in a positive way as well. So things that, you know, my teams always look for in guys. Will that next start be in Columbus or Cleveland? That's a really, really good question. 
the Guardians broadcast on Sunday kept hinting at, you know, will it be a bullpen game? Will it be another major league debut? I, I think the only likely scenario here is either it's a bullpen game because they need a starter on Wednesday now, or it's Tanner Bybee. I don't, I don't see how it could be any other way. Connor Pilkington pitched on Saturday, so he is out for Wednesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He's out. He's the only guy in the 40. I know some people might try to say Joey Cantillo. I, again, I, if you listen to last week, Joey Cantillo, I think, is not an option this year, at least not this early. He's not an option. He could be an option late in the year, depending on how things go. Just because he's on the 40, I don't think he's an option. Uh, we are going to talk about the Brian Lamasita DFA, obviously, at some point today, too, on the podcast. So, you know, stick around to the end for that. But I think all signs point to a bullpen game. They were, they didn't have to use Curry behind Allen, which is good. Uh, Curry has not pitched in a while, so there is that. I think by Wednesday, Gaddis will not have been in the minors long enough yet, so you can't recall Gaddis for Wednesday, and you know, nor should they, because I don't think uh, that's a good idea right now. Uh, he pitched better out of the bullpen. He did throw harder. Uh, Curry's last outing came April 18th, so... By Wednesday, if he hasn't pitched Monday and Tuesday, um, I would guess that it's it's been yeah it's been a bit eight days by then. I don't know. It might be Curry on Wednesday. I think the hope is they don't need him Monday or Tuesday. You know, you have Battenfield, you have Cal. Cal's had some struggles this year. Battenfield's still a rookie. They're not facing a good team. Um, I don't know. It's if Curry doesn't pitch, I guess if Curry will have gone eight days between starts if he does not pitch the Monday or Tuesday games. Uh, if he does, there's no question it has to be by because he'll have been used. So, Or it just could be a bullpen game. They could bring Curry back on a couple days and he can give you two innings out of the bullpen or something. Um, that's going to be a really good question of what they do. I, I Right now I'm leaning at 70-30 towards Curry just based on how the schedule's panned out so far. I think they'd like to avoid that. But again... They might decide now is the time to just get this done. Then you know, Allen pitched really well. Now might be the time to just go out and make that move and get Bybee up. So we'll see. If it's not this week, who knows? Uh, I still think, I think Curry might be the leader in the clubhouse still, just based on the schedule. But you know, things could change Monday or Tuesday. Obviously, they can't commit to him if he has to pitch Monday or Tuesday. Hopefully, he doesn't, because that would mean the Guardians are probably not doing well if he has to come in early in a game. Um, yeah. Okay. So Brian Rocchio was up for a couple of days early in the week. Um, we did get a question from our buddy Nunzio Izzo, longtime fan and listener. Uh, he really wanted us to talk about the conundrum between Freeman, Rocchio, and Arias. So Arias is the better defender at multiple positions. Arias can literally play first, second, third, and short. He has the best arm on the infield out of all three of those guys. Uh, Freeman is a second baseman, a shortstop, and he can moonlight at third. I don't know if he's necessarily the guy you want playing there that often. He did play there a little bit over the weekend because of uh, Jose getting a, t- a shot at DH to <clears throat> get some get his legs off the field a little bit during the doubleheader. Um, Rokio has been mostly second short. He's played a little bit of third, but He's really primarily a second baseman or a shortstop. Um, this year, at least right now, I still think Arias is the better fit. They need that right-handed hitter 
who can play first base and they don't have they don't have the traditional platoon player. I talked about this so many times here in Lockdown Guardians as well that they don't have that right-handed bat that can play first base um, or, or platoon with, with, with Josh Naylor. So Arias is kind of it right now, and I think that's the better fit. The problem with that is, Arias, I've said this multiple times as well, I think Arias is a bat that needs to play more often because he doesn't have the natural feel for contact the way Tyler Freeman does, and probably not the way Brian Rocchio does either. He has power. There's more swing and miss. There's more aggression in his approach. He's more likely to chase, and he needs reps in order to sort those things out. Freeman, I think, could sleep for 24 hours or you know, 48 hours, not play baseball for a week, could get up and make contact with anything. That's just his natural ability, and that's a better fit off the bench. I've, again, I've said this multiple times. So to me, if, if they're going to go the route of a utility player who plays once a week, it's Freeman. Freeman makes more sense. He has more skills to fit that role. Arias needs to play more, although I think he has higher upside, and that's why he has to play more. I think Freeman probably lacks that upside, but I could be wrong. Um, it's just like I, I don't think I don't think I give Tyler Freeman a better chance to reach his floor than I do to Gabriel Arias to reach his ceiling because. Gabriel Arias's floor is below Tyler Freeman's floor, but it's higher than Gabe, than Tyler Freeman's ceiling. If you can follow me there, I just don't think that Freeman is gonna is gonna or Arias is never gonna reach that ceiling, but Freeman is going to reach his floor, so that makes him a better fit for this role. Uh, but he can't play first base, and that's kind of the issue right now. They kind of need that first baseman to be there, so uh, it's a tough spot. And I I think to me. I like Angel Martinez, but I do think Rokio is a good player. I do think Rokio is kind of the heir apparent at shortstop or second base, depending on how they want to play things with with uh, Jimenez long term. Doesn't matter; those two are very interchangeable. Rokio's bat has just continued to improve with more reps. He is striking out less every year as he moves up. He is showing a little more patience and ability to walk. He's sitting for more power uh, every year. Not great power. We're still talking about fringe average uh, power, like a uh, a 15 homer a year guy, maybe a 12 homer a year guy splitting hairs there. Uh, I still think Rokio makes the most sense for his overall skill set. Uh, I do like Freeman. I do like Martinez's approach a little bit better, but uh, they're different roles. Arias to me is a guy who should be starting on a team. Like if, if they didn't have, if they didn't have a Med Rosario right now, I would start Gabriel Arias every day over Tyler Freeman. I would. If that didn't work out, if Arias by, let's say, June was just not hitting, I would send him back down and I would make a different call. I just think Freeman's future role is probably uh, a, an average second baseman or a good utility player. I think it's more likely he gets the most of, most of his abilities in that role than I do Arias as a starter, but you got to find out because Arias has the talent. So that's a very, very tough question. I had some questions about John Kenzie Noel. Uh, this is again. I wish we could have talked about uh, to Matt about this, but John Kenzie Noel. I've seen some talk about him on Twitter as well. Not a great year for him so far. Again, only twenty one. He'll be twenty two this year. Uh, One sixty nine average, uh, two fifty three on base, three thirty eight slugging right now. A thirty percent strikeout rate. It's bad right now. 
He did have five walks this week, which is good for him. He needs that. Um, he He's going to be a three-true outcome kind of guy. I know people said, oh, he doesn't strike out as much for a power hitter. He does. He does. I have serious questions about his ability to pick up spin, and I just I don't think he's going to hit major league breaking stuff. And he, if he sits fastball, I think teams will just give him breaking stuff. And if he starts looking for the breaking stuff, he'll start cha- or he'll start being late on fastballs. I the approach just isn't there for me right now. I know he got better as he got to Akron last year a little bit. Things kind of stabilized, and there's still time. Again, he only has 21 games. 20, I'm sorry, 24 games at AAA, and he's 21. He'll be 22 in July, so there's still time. He still has two options left. He, you, I'm sorry, he'll have one option left after this year. So next year is his last option year. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I just don't see it for that that kind of skill set. I will say, watching some games on MILB TV, he's gotten better in right field. The arm's okay. He looks a little more confident in right field. I don't know that I would say he's any good in right field. And Nasser Gonzalez, I still don't think is a good defensive right fielder either. But Noel looks more confident and comfortable out there. He can probably hang out there and not be terrible. It's certainly better than the third base experiment. So to me, Noel is a, is a right fielder, first base DH. His best position is first base. But he's got to hit no matter where he goes. And I, again, I just have real concerns about breaking ball recognition and hitting enough of those. Fastball is not a problem, uh, although I wonder if, if velocity ultimately will be a problem for him too. But just too much aggression, too much chase from him. Um, I don't see it. That's why I've dropped him a lot of my rankings, and I don't see him being a middle-of-the-order power hitter. I think we're talking, I don't know, Mark Reynolds at best, maybe Chris Carter, and that would be a good outcome. I think the outcomes are the more likely outcomes are much worse than that. We're talking about a guy who might not even make the majors. I mean, Nelly Rodriguez comes to mind. If you have been a fan of the system for quite a while, I have concerns to say the least. Um, another guy who plays played some first base, David Fry, mostly been a third baseman in triple I'm still really not sure what they're going to do with him. Um, he has not played catcher at all. He has been the third base first base. He has played a game at second base because of all the wacky stuff that happened this week. Um, but he hasn't. He had a nine or nine OPS this week. He drove in a run. He had three doubles, six hits. I still like the guy as a bench player. I'd rather see him. I, again, the reason Maybreeze Valoria is on the major league roster is because of his defense. It's not. If David Fry was a better defender, I think he'd be up. And that's that's just what it is. So the fact that Zach Collins is catching as Bo Naylor's backup in AAA and not David Fry, I think tells you all you need to know. Right now, uh, not necessarily that Zach Collins is a good defensive catcher, just that they don't view Fry catching a AAA as a priority right now. And may- maybe it's because he's needed a third base. That could be true as well. They just need him somewhere else. But uh, if they really were worried about his development and could he be a catcher on the Major League roster sometime this year or next year, he would be getting reps at catcher. They would not... They would find a way. There's a reason they have moved Noel to right field. They move guys around is to get their bat in the order because they are priority. I'm not saying they don't think David priority or David Fry is not a priority, but he is not a priority at catcher. Otherwise, they would find ways to get him in, and they could DH Collins, give Naylor a day off. But you know, it's just and, and Collins has also played first base too. So 
Micah Brees kind of cooled off after that hot start. Not a great week for him. 238, did draw a couple walks, one extra base hit. Things have really, really cooled off for him. And that's not a surprise. I mean, he still has an 808 OPS in AAA, which is good. The strikeout rate hasn't climbed too much, 28%. That's a little higher than last year. And I, I do think there are some swing and miss concerns there. Walk rate's almost 10%. The power still kind of there. 467 slug, but a lot of it is, is based on his early contributions. So um, he has looked tough against left-handers. I think he has really struggled against left-handed pitching. Something to watch going forward. That's still not a big deal. I mean, if he ends up being a platoon bat who can play the outfield in first base as a left-handed hitter, that still gives him a good chance to face a lot of good righties uh, in the future and, and be a good hitter. So keep, you know, and again, he's all, I know he's older, but at the same time, uh, the lack of reps for him is a little bit different because of his background that we've talked about in the past. So I'm not too concerned yet. Peyton Banfield, uh, really good through two starts. Been really impressed with him. That cutter is definitely a weapon for him. And he's had, he's gone through some pitch mix variations and, and how he chooses to throw which pitch when. A lot of that has kind of changed based on what he feels comfortable with and, and just what is working for him and what changes he's trying to make. And so so he's coming out throwing the cutter more, so that's a good development for him. I still think that leads him more into a relief role, but I'm still interested in seeing him more as a starter. I, we're just going to need to see more pitches, I think, eventually from him. Is the cutter is going to only get him by for so long, uh, a couple times through the order, so he winds up being a guy who goes a little bit short through the order. But it's working so far, no reason to change it. And, you know, you only you make adjustments whenever when people adjust back to you. No reason to, if you see something you need to change, make a change. Right now he needs he has no reason to make a change. But I think what we're seeing is that the cutter is make, is being a, is a viable option for him as a pitch, as a reliever. And at the very least, he has earned himself a lot more big league chances off of that. Sticking with Columbus still, the Tuki Tucson experiment had a question about which relievers could be interesting? Um, who could, you know, be up from that? If Could they be an option? A lot of guys, I think Mike the Mad Thinker asked, we know Logan Allen's a starter. All these other guys could be starters. What guys could be relievers? Uh, I think the 2K2 Son experiment is looking good so far. Um, the walk rate is under 3 per 9, 7.8%. The strikeout rate is 27.5. ERA is under 2 I think things look good for him so far. I would not be surprised if this keeps up, if he winds up being an option at some point this season out of the bullpen. Again, the 40 man situation is going to make it a lot harder to figure out, but that's a guy with a lot of talent. I liked a lot of his pitches when he was younger. I liked a lot of the upside. And if they have found something with him control wise, this could be a big win for them out of the bullpen because look, ideally you have, you know, Cody Morris and Sam Henches and Nick Salem, Eli Morgan and Karen Shack and Stefan and Classe. You don't need these guys, but the truth is you do need them because injuries happen. Guys regress. Guys don't adjust to certain things that are new rules, which we'll talk about on Lockdown Guardians. I won't get into that here. But Tuki Toussaint so far has made himself look like a potential future bullpen option, and that's exciting. Uh, so that's the guy to keep an eye on in terms of relief options going forward. Uh, Mike also asked me about Brian Lavacita. 
could he be a minor league free agent at the end of the year? I don't have a good answer on that. I've asked a couple people who know better than I would. The research I have done so far says that he would not be a free agent at the end of the year. It would be next year, but uh, don't quote me on that because I'm still looking for a better answer. I'm a little shocked by this one, though. I, I He's been hitting better the last couple weeks, and the Major League roster has Cam Gallagher and maybe, maybe Breeze Valoria. At the end of the day, Lavastida is probably a backup catcher who has more bat than glove, and that's not something this team's interested in long term. That's that's the the harsh reality of it. And the bat has been struggling the last two years. He's had a hard time regaining what he had in 2021. It's unfortunate. Um, I I give it a 50 50 chance for him to clear waivers. I don't know. I think there's a chance that catching is so thin out there that somebody, because look, somebody could claim him and he doesn't need to be on major league roster. He just needs to be on someone's 40. I think catching's thin enough where there's a good chance he catches on somewhere else. And that's unfortunate because I think somebody else will get him into a backup role. It'll work long-term. I think he can hit enough to be a backup, whether that's a long career or a short career. I still, I still believe in lot of steam. I just don't know how high the ceiling goes there. So at the end of the day, it's not a big deal in terms of the future of this team. It's a big deal for Labastida. Obviously, I hope I hope for his sake somebody claims him because if he doesn't get claimed, he goes back to, to Akron. He's not on the forty. That drops his pay a little bit. That ends up getting him less future opportunities here in Cleveland. What's best for him is for somebody else to claim him and go on the forty and maybe go to AAA and. Because even if he is not playing well in Akron right now, he has played well in AA in the past, and he should go to AAA. But I think ultimately he's a backup. He's a third string, a second string catcher. And, you know, they, they have other, other ways to go about this to, to clear a spot for Logan Allen and, and anybody else. But I, I would have probably cleared Mabry's Valoria long term. But if you believe Bo Naylor's your guy going forward, maybe they like Valoria defensively that's enough to be a backup and they don't care about his bat that's fine because i think the defense matters when you're a backup catcher it should matter and that might not be lavastia he could also have some versatility to somebody in the future too i mean he doesn't have to just catch he has to play other positions and he's athletic enough to do so so maybe maybe brian lavastia has a similar career track to david fry as we were talking about him that should be interesting all right, hot in Akron. Things were good this past week for the Rubber Ducks. They uh, won their series with um, Harrisburg. Some good offensive performances. Obviously, everyone's going to, want to talk about is the Daniel Spino news. Um, there was a quote out there from Rubber Ducks manager Ruglas Odor that said that, oh, we're hoping to have him back by June and July, and that was like, Earlier last week. It was late last week. It was like Thursday. And now he is shut down for the time being. He's going to see a doctor. They're going to see what's going on there. Again, I'm trying to work out an interview with um, Rob Serfolio, the uh, Guardians Director of Player Development. And we'll see what's going on there. But that, I think going forward, when you see quotes from managers at different levels, talking about a guy that isn't even there that is rehabbing. If he was actively with the team pitching or working out, doing whatever, that's fine. But if a guy is out in Arizona and he's not with the team, 
I just take and nothing against Odor. Odor's always been great talking to the media and he's a good dude. Um, but I think when you're talking about players who aren't even with the team that are out in Arizona, unless they are like coming back, they are told, Hey, this guy's coming this week. You have to take a lot of that with a grain of salt because they don't know. They're either going to tell you things are great or they just don't know. The team hasn't told them. So take that with a lot of grain of salt. Unfortunately, that quote was out there, but now he is shut down for the time being. I, I Hopefully he avoids surgery. You know, we're going on about a year here where he hasn't pitched competitively. And first it was the knee, now it's the shoulder, and now it's the shoulder long term. You hope that he doesn't need surgery. But if he, if he needs shoulder surgery, you're talking about he's going to miss probably all 2024. There's no such thing as a minor surgery on anybody's pitching arm. And there is no such thing as a minor shoulder surgery. So shoulder surgery is a lot worse than, than Tommy John. There are plenty of proven comebacks from Tommy John over the years. They have gotten that down to a science. And that isn't to say that he can't come back from a shoulder surgery or a shoulder injury. It's been done. Julio Urias of the Dodgers is a good example of that. But the track record of Tommy John surgery, because it's maybe because it's more frequent, so it could be some bias there. But we have good evidence that, that guys come back and they pitch well. The shoulder thing, there's a lot more up in the air. So it's unfortunate for Espino, um, a guy we hear who takes care of his body, who stretches. Unfortunately, the shoulder muscle is made up of a lot of different moving parts, and you need that. Some guys just, they don't, they struggle. Um, I had one friend of the show tell me who knows a lot about pitching that some guys just don't know how to throw anything but hundred percent. They, they give max effort all the time and they don't know how to do anything different. And that could be a Spino. He could be hundred percent max effort every pitch. And he might need to realize that he can't be doing that. And he's got to listen to his body. I don't know what that means for the future of his arm, but you know, a shoulder surgery probably wipes out the rest of this year. De definitely wipes out the rest of this year. And the fact that he is going for a second opinion tells me that it's unlikely he pitches this year. And I don't know. It's hard to imagine him not getting surgery at this point because this is at least this is at least three occurrences that we know of of the shoulder causing issues of him ramping up. He had the shoulder problem ramping up from the knee problem last year. He had a shoulder problem ramping up again this time as well. So that's multiple occurrences. It was twice last year. You know, he ramped up at the end and thought he was good for spring training. And, you know, I, if he misses all of next year. And and the thing is, Cleveland's got to put him on the 40-man roster. He is Rule 5 eligible at the end of this year. There is a negative percent chance that he is left off of the 40-man roster. So anybody asks, you know, hey, could they try to sneak him through? No, no. Because the last thing you want to do is have this kid have surgery and – not roster him and he gets back healthy and another team can IL him forever. And then he gets back and he's healthy and you lose him. No, there is a negative percent chance. This team doesn't protect him from the rule five this off season. And if he has surgery, unfortunately he becomes kind of a, a dark spot on the roster where you're playing with a 39, 39, 39 man roster because he can't help you if he's hurt. They could put him on the 60-day IL, but that also starts his clock in the majors. And they've done that before with Carlos Vargas, Cody Morris. They don't like to do it. They've had to do it. And I don't know what they'll do with, with this 
Hopefully he doesn't need surgery. Hopefully there's something, some other alternative here, but you know, the way things have gone so far, it's hard to believe that surgery is not coming. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not an expert. I haven't seen the shoulder. Even if I did, I wouldn't know what to look for, but um, it's just, it's not a good situation. And, and this is why there are so many concerns with Daniel Espino. It's unfortunate for him. It's unfortunate for the organization and the fans, but uh, you know, wish him the best in getting back. But, you know, there's a good chance that they're playing with a 39-man roster next year is the way I'm looking at it right now. Hey, at least Gavin Williams is still dominating. Five no-hit innings for Akron last week. Touched 99, so he is consistently in that upper 90s, 100-mile-an-hour range. Uh, he is the guy left who still throws heat. I mean, Bybee throws heat. He's he's throwing 96-99. But uh, Gavin Williams, no hits last week. Eight strikeouts, five innings. I think there's a good chance that one of those open spots in Columbus, however that works out, he, he should be in Columbus. They should sign, they need innings in Akron. That's the thing here too, is Shane McCarthy is working his way back. Ross Carver, I guess is being used in a tandem role. I think they're trying to get guys stretched out. I don't know the guys they don't trust, you know, Nikhazy, Leftwich, Carver, Stanley, uh, being careful with Cantillo. Trying to think who else. McCarthy's coming back from TJ. There's a couple guys there just not kind of taking the uh, the reins off of yet. They're keeping things careful with them. I think once they do that, you can get Gavin Williams to Columbus because there's no reason Adam Scott or they shouldn't have a bullpen game in Columbus. They shouldn't have Adam Scott starting in Columbus. Nothing against Adam Scott, but Gavin Williams should be there getting innings right now. And I think... I think it has to do with the fact they need innings covered in Akron. And there are some things he can work on. Sure, he's not perfect. I think Bybee is a more polished pitcher than him at this time, but there's still probably not a lot of reason for Gavin Williams to be pitching the double-A hitters at this point. So I think once Nikhazy and Leftwich and Cantillo, they can maybe take the reins off some of those guys a little bit, maybe that pushes Gavin Williams to AAA. Hopefully it's sooner than later, because like I said, there's no reason for them to be trying to get three or four innings a start out of Adam Scott when he can't throw strikes. Tanner Burns, another good start for him. Uh, seven strikeouts. He has 14 strikeouts and nine innings pitched this year. Uh, things are you know looking pretty good for him. He's still throwing the 90-93. It's the fact the velocity just has not come back from where he was in college. He was hitting 96 in college and now it is and pitching once a week. Now he's pitching once a week and it's like you know low 90s. So. I think we're looking at Tanner Burns. I think we've said on Lockdown Guardians, he's kind of a uh, likely a bullpen arm, but I think he could be like a, a Curry or a Gaddis. There's there's better secondaries there too, I think as well. So, um, um, I think he could still be a fifth or sixth starter with what he's got. The fastball is definitely not great to play at the big league level, but we'll see. Um, but at least he's throwing more strikes and the secondaries are still good. So that gives him a good chance to be a back-end starter. Jack Lefwich, three perfect innings, four strikeouts. Again, I hope they take the reins off him a little bit because um, he's been looking good. I know he had the elbow injury at the end of 2022. Hopefully he can get some more innings here soon. And I like everything I've seen from him. He can backdoor the slider, the slider in on the back foot of lefties. The fastball is 92-93. Uh, the changeup, I haven't really seen a ton of yet this year, but it was solid last year. So Jack Leftwich to me still could be a reliever, but 
with the fastball slider, but I, I still want to see more innings from him. They need innings from him because of the time missed as well. Uh, Lake County, man, I saw I saw my first look at Juan Brito in person last week on Thursday. That guy can play. Um, it's it's hard to judge guys facing low A and high A pitching because there is such a big divide between pitchers at low A and high A and double A in terms of throwing strikes, quality of stuff, and being able to throw breaking stuff for strikes. But what I will say about Brito is he doesn't chase crap, so he doesn't chase out of the strike zone. Maybe pitchers with better breaking stuff, guys who can start in the zone and drop it out of the zone, he'll, he'll have to adjust to in double A. We'll see. But what he's doing in high A, I think, is is working. He doesn't chase out of the zone. He gets the ball in the air, too. So for a guy who we're not talking about, a guy with 60, even 50-grade power, uh, we're talking about a guy with 40 to 45-grade power, gets the ball in the air, quick hands, uh, very quick to the ball, not a lot of movement in that swing, and he can loft the ball. So whatever power he has, he's going to get to. I, I could see Juan Brito being a 20-home run guy. I could see him being a 20-20 guy, really. Um, that's obviously the high end of the, of the ceiling here. I don't know what the floor is, but I think that's the ceiling. Defensively, he looks fine. I didn't see him stood out to me that was negative or positive in, in either direction. It was fine. It was solid. The arm's fine. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's going to be a special defender, but he should be fine. Wherever he ends up playing, it's probably still going to be second base. But the bat looks good. I haven't seen him from the right side yet. I've only saw him from the left. But he hits the ball either way. He can pull the ball to the gap. He gets the ball in the air. He doesn't chase crap out of the zone at this level yet. So everything looks good so far from Juan Brito. I think he's going to hit. Everything else, we'll see. Uh, solid start Sunday. I didn't get to see this one, but one note. One, uh, Ryan Webb, five innings of shutout ball, eight strikeouts. That is a great sign for him. I'm hoping to catch him at the next homestand. We'll see when that is. Um, just got a message back from our buddy, Andrew Kinsman, friend of the show, who knows the minor league rules better than I do. So we'll t- go back real quick and look at um, uh, the Brian Lavastia situation. It looks like it's all or part of seven minor league seasons. So Oscar Gonzalez, as an example, made his pro debut in 2015, became an, a minor league free agent after 2021, re-signed, whereas Jose Fermin made his debut in 2016, would have been eligible to become a minor league free agent last winter before he was traded and added to the Cardinals 40-man roster to stop him. Um, so as for Lavastida, drafted in 2018, so this is only his sixth pro season, so he will not be uh, – my league free agent this winter, although he will be roll five eligible. So 2024, which is what I thought. I thought it was 2024, not this year. So appreciate um, Andrew for getting back to me on that. He knows these rules a little better than I do and interprets them better. He knows how to find them better and he knows how to interpret them better. So Brian Lavastida, still one more year before he can be a my league free agent, although he will be roll five eligible if he clears waivers. So good to know. I saw Trenton Denholm on Thursday as well. The secondaries are good. The changeup's good. The curveball's okay. The slider's decent. I think it's a bevy of 45, 50 offerings. Maybe the changeup's 55. Um, the, the fastball is definitely a 45. It, it was it was 88 to 90 when I saw him. Hopefully, at times, he can get to the mid-90s. I've, I know I've heard and seen him throw 93, 94, 95. He needs that back. Uh, the fastball is uh, very fringy, even at his release point right now. 
Uh, and I think 45 is probably being generous based on his release point. We'll see if the velocity it ticks back up. For me, it, he winds up being kind of a, a swingman bullpen starter, kind of a Curry, Adam Plutko type right now is what I would say Trenton Denholm is. Uh, but the, you know, the secondaries were good. Maybe some of that works out of the bullpen, maybe it doesn't. Tyler Thornton, on the other hand, not a lot of control. Uh, Denholm didn't have control issues, but, but Tyler Thornton, to me, uh, very, very difficult release point to pick up for hitters. Throwing 90-94 and a good slider as well. I think Tyler Thornton has all the pieces there to be a good major league reliever. He definitely has to uh, figure out where the ball's going first. But, uh, yeah, 90-94 and, and a good slider. So I liked what I saw from him. If he can throw some strikes, man, he is going to be one paying in the rear end reliever to pick up for hitters. Jordis Valdez, another strong week from him. I don't know. I, I saw a lot of good stuff in his swing on Thursday, and, and manager uh, Omir Santos said that his approach has gotten better. He is learning now what he can hit, what he can drive. It's a more mature approach at the plate. Um, so I really like where the bat's going for him. Another strong week for Joe Lampy. He had a walk-off hit for Lake County. Really enjoyed watching him play. It's a back-up-the-middle approach. It's very high contact. Um, I would like to see him drive the ball a little bit more. I don't know that he is really going to benefit a ton from high A pitching anymore, but uh, given where he played in college. But, yeah, it's a back-up-the-middle approach. We'd like to see him pull it more. We'd like to see a little more you know, gap power from him. Speed's there. Center field, he looked fine. Um, just want to see if it turns into more power. I don't know if I would. I think Will Brennan had more gap power when I saw him in, in high A in 2021. He was able to pull the ball down the right field line a little bit more and hit the gaps. I haven't seen that from Lampy yet. It's early, so we'll see. But to me, that's the difference so far is Brennan had more doubles power, and right now I'm seeing a lot of uh, singles back up the middle from Lampy, but it's looking good. I mean, he's way too good for high A. The approach is good. The contact is good. The speed's good. The defense is good. Uh, while we were recording this, the Hillcats just stole 10 more bases. Uh, they set a franchise record, 12 steals last week in a game. That's really impressive. That team just keeps running. Um, take that with a grain of salt because of the rules down there, because of how raw the pitchers are how bad the catching is, and those guys just run free. So I would take some of the grain of salt, but it's still very fun. Nate Furman's hitting streak comes to that at nine games, but he has still um, gotten on base in all but one game he's played this year. Things are looking good for him. Guy Lipscomb, another good week for him in Lynchburg. Um, again, still looks like he's too advanced for that, that level. Uh, he's just got to have playing time open up at a higher level for him. So it's unfortunate that they don't have higher playing time for him because I don't think he's going to gain a lot from, from low A other than just routines and reps and being ready to play six days a week. Uh, I watched a little bit of Adam Tullock, who was one of the Guardians draft picks last year, also out of Arizona State. Uh, very weird, quirky sidearm angle. High sidearm, doesn't really drop down, but I like what I saw to him. He is going to be tough to pick up. I think he's probably better as a reliever but because of the angle his arm comes through at. It makes the fastball challenging to pick up, kind of like Logan Allen. Um, I didn't really see a ton of great stuff on the secondaries, but um, I think he can really pitch, and, I, and the angle is going to be tough. 
Uh, Juan Benjamin, I'm sorry, Juan Benjamin is how Jason Pearl pronounced it last week. Juan Benjamin, man, this guy is just raking the strikeout rate. You know, a little bit of concern. He's 20 in low A. You like to see a lot lower, 27%. The walk rate's okay. Uh, but so far, he's hitting 20 low A. Maybe like you see him be a teenager and doing this. We'll see. But he's hitting. And I would like to see where he ends the year plate discipline-wise because that's a level where you really can't strike out a lot and, and recover from, unfortunately. So uh, got to get that strikeout to rate down. It's early. Unfortunately... Wolfredo Antunez is on the IL in low A. Was really liking to watch him before he got hurt. He's only played, uh, he only had 22 plate appearances. He's 21 and he was hurt last year. So that is not great to see. Let's check to see if we got any last minute questions that I didn't touch on. We talked about Noel as Josh Capelo asked. Um, with Logan, John Turner wants to know with Logan Allen in the big leagues, do you think Gavin Williams gets called to Columbus soon? I do. I did touch on that. I think it should be soon. Um, we talked about some relievers. We talked about Tyler Freeman and the shortstop situation right now. That's going to be it for the week. Uh, I got to go record tomorrow's Lockdown Guardians. So um, hopefully we'll catch up with Matt another time from Columbus. Uh, plan to talk about the captains with Matt Cannell here soon, as well as he and I have both seen them a little bit. And then we'll try to get somebody on from Akron as well. Uh, thank you for listening again. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify. I believe those are the two places you can do that. Comment on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, and let me know what you'd like to hear. What, what, what would you like me to talk about as far as minor leagues are concerned? Interviews, levels, players you'd like me to talk about. Um, I don't do this for myself. I mean, I, I do do it for myself. I enjoy talking about the minor league system, it's a lot harder when you're doing it solo, I will say, but um, I do this because people seem to enjoy the the, pro, the podcast about minor league baseball and the Guardian system. So if there is something I can improve on that you would enjoy me talking about or who I should talk to, definitely let me know. And hey, if you're not leaving me a five-star review, please let me know why you're leaving me less than a five-star review. Make it constructive criticism, but definitely leave the review, share with a friend, if they like the Guardians and they like the minor league system and they want to know who is coming next through the pipeline. Uh, thanks to everybody who asked the question. Thanks for Andrew for getting back to me on the uh, Brian LaVestita minor league free agent situation. Uh, I don't know if I, again, I hope he, I kind of hope he clears waivers, but I also kind of don't for his sake as well. So we'll see. We'll be back next week with another episode. So uh, stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribing to next year in Cleveland. Next year in CLE.substack.com. I'll put it in the, bio and the show notes as well so you can subscribe there uh hope to talk to you again soon